0: Can a boom in Great Lakes human populations affect fish as much as aquatic invasive species? What is a black carp and why should we care? And what is in a name when it comes to invasive species? To find out, let's ask Dr. Fish. That's right. It is uh, Ask Doctor Fish, episode six, June nineteenth, two thousand and twenty-three. My name is Stuart Carlton, and I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. But I am not a Doctor Fish. Uh, but I'm fortunate today to be joined by multiple Doctors Fish. First, we have Katie O'Reilly, aquatic invasive species specialist at Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. Katie, how's the fish fishing? The fisher,
1: the fish are, fish are fishing. It is a beautiful day here in Central Illinois.
0: Uh, we have a second. One Dr. Fish is good. Two Dr. Fish are gooder. Uh, so we have Titus Seilheimer joining us from a boat. He's from on a, a boat. boat. It's Titus. Titus, where are you?
2: I am on the uh, lovely uh, Waters of Lower Green Bay in Lake Michigan.
0: Waters of Lower Green Bay. Amazing. Look at that. Last but not least, this is not a Dr. Fish and not as exciting because she's not on a boat, but it's Carolyn Foley. Carolyn, my friend. I guess he should have come earlier. We should have had the big finish with Titus there. Um, no,
3: anyway. I'm happy to follow a boat because we can just watch where Titus is the entire time. Yeah. so
0: yep. right. <laughs> Titus might
3: be coming in and out. <laughs> Yeah, we'll do the
0: best we can. Really, go in quick with those questions. Yeah, if you are listening live, uh, we are streaming live to Facebook, YouTube, um, everywhere, right? Uh, if you have any questions, just put them in the little comment box. If you're on Twitter, use the hashtag AskDrFish. Um, uh, We'll take your questions as soon as possible. And uh, we are recording this as a reminder for a podcast, so sometimes we may have to do some podcast stuff, right, and go back and repeat something to make sure we have beautiful, clean audio for the listening audience. Good luck with that, Stuart. I'm I'm on a boat, Stuart. Your audio (laughs) is going (laughs) to be a mess. That is true. Uh, I'm trying to eventually bring everybody down to my level of competence. Some we have to handicap by putting them on a boat, but that's neither here nor here. All right. Topic one: More anglers, fewer fish. During the last Ask Doctor Fish live for my angler, uh, Carolyn really wanted to talk about urban fishing, um, which is good. I like. I just participated in some suburban fishing over Father's Day weekend, in fact. But uh, what does it mean if more people come into the Great Lakes region? So there was a study a few years ago. Carolyn, what uh, tell us about this study um, that you have that you found out about?
3: Right. So basically, it was a study looking at. Um, the the influence of human population change and aquatic invasive species establishment on future recreational fishing activities to the Canadian portion of the Laurentian Great Lakes. That is the original title. Um, but they were more or less looking like if more people come to the Great Lakes region, say because the ocean coasts are um are kind of like people want to leave the ocean coast because they're not as habitable as like the Midwest or something like that. Um, what could that mean if they come and they actually start to to fish here? And uh, the study was trying to suggest that at least on the Canadian side, um, that that could have as big an impact or, you know, a greater impact than a new invasive species being introduced. So I guess, um, Katie, do you want to give a shot at like what, this study sort of tried to encompass and like anything else that you can uh,
1: like share about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this was a really cool study uh, published only a couple of years ago, back in 2021. And like Carolyn, you just you know said this was trying to get an idea of really teasing apart a lot of different factors that come into play when we talk about you know the the art and joy of fishing, and that's really cool as an ecologist, you know, looking at it from more of the human side of things, this kind of coupled social social ecological system. Um, and so they were trying to look at different scenarios uh, where population was increasing in the, you know, Ontario province, what that would mean for people taking, you know, fishing trips, whether those were on boats or on shore, Um, what kinds of fish they were catching, you know, were they targeting things that are more warmer water or cool water, like walleye compared to things like, you know, salmon or lake trout. So there were like a ton of different factors they were including in their models. Um, in addition to the introduction and establishment of some invasive carp. Uh, so they were like putting all these different variables in and trying to tease apart what would have the biggest impacts. And, you know, kind of the the spoiler alert we already said is that the human population increases would have almost like bigger impacts than just the scenario where there were the establishment of the invasive carbs. So long story short, kind of the take-home message is that it's really important when we're thinking about, you know, how do we manage fisheries? You have to take kind of the human ecological, you know, ecological and uh, human side of things into consideration in these bigger bigger pictures. So that's, it's definitely a plug for more social science research in the Great Lakes for sure.
0: All right. Well, that perks my ears up as someone who (laughs) always could use more funding. But so I have a question about these models and and how they work. And I know you didn't do all of this specific work, but uh, do we know that this is like, they talk about how all models are wrong, but some are useful. So, so should we think about like, um, or should we just think about these as inputs and potential scenarios? Or is this something that's going to happen, I guess? Uh, Do you, do you know?
2: Yeah, you know, I think it's a it's a really complex issue, and you know, I think the models are useful to to kind of guide discussions now. But um, you know, when you think about uh, how fish management works, you know, I think the man the models can help to just kind of guide future management decisions and actually start kind of brainstorming, like how do you change fisheries management uh, so that you can have more people, more fishing but also maintain those fish. And, you know, also opportunities to, you know, target different fish. It's like, you don't have to just fish for walleye. You don't have to just fish for bass. You know, maybe there are a lot of other great fish out there that people might be interested in trying out.
1: Yeah. And I'll just add, you know, this was just one study looking at a couple of different things, you know, invasive species and human population growth. And the authors even talk about, you know, they didn't include potential effects of climate change in their model, which is another, you know, very big stressor. So I I agree with Titus. I think it's kind of more of a guideline, not necessarily saying a crystal ball saying this is what's going to happen in the future.
2: I mean, and what's interesting is that angling, like in general, has just been declining for decades, too. So, you know, more people doesn't necessarily mean uh, more fishing or more anglers. And, you know, there's also kind of a statistic that people throw around that, like, nine, you know, 90% of the fish are caught by 10% of the anglers. So, uh, you know, maybe it, maybe it won't even change things as drastically um, as as their model inputs said.
3: Okay, so I have a follow-up question about species and climate change and things like that. So are there warm water fish that could establish in the Great Lakes to be a great fishery that people would be excited about? So, like, I know if you say, like, oh, the walleye might not, people are like, but I want to keep fishing for walleye. Is there a fish, do either of you know of a species that, like, might be able to... Live happily in the Great Lakes and people would have fun catching it too. If the lakes were
0: to get a lot warmer, for example. Yeah. And why is it bull sharks?
3: No,
1: no, 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 no bull sharks.
3: No, <laughs>
0: no, bull, no bull sharks in the Lake <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> I, ahead, I,
1: you know, I will obviously uh, let Titus it, do his input. I would say my thought, based on some of this, the papers that have come out, is there, you know, the potential increase of bass fishing. Um, cause bass are generally more of a warm water species, uh, and bass fishing is big business across the U S but there are limits on the bass too. Bass can't, you know, tolerate any temperature. So Titus, I'll let, I'll let you jump in, in your crystal ball predictions.
2: Um, yeah, it is, you know, actually if you go back to, you know, when, when, uh, the state of Michigan was, you know, debating what. What species to stock in the 60s, and you know they, they went with coho salmon and then chinook salmon. Um, actually, striped bass was one of the the earlier you know options that they looked at, and I you know I think that uh, some of the you know temperature was maybe a limitation there. So that is a, a you know a, a sport fish that gets large and people might like to catch. Um, and it is just you know maybe not new species, but maybe it's just shifts in you know what species are, you know, doing well, and, and that might be, you know, a shift in more bass, uh, you know, where you have kind of a limitation now, but maybe with a, a future climate, um, it might uh, support more bass and so support more of that fishing. So, you know, that with climate change and fish, it's always like, you know, are they shifting? Are they moving within their range? Are they doing better or poor? So, yeah, could could go either way.
0: Are there is there a striped bass fishery now? I've seen, so I don't know. I've never really fished much in this area, but I was looking for places to go. My dad was in town, and so we're, I'm from Louisiana. We would go fishing for sea trout and red drum um, and, and all sorts of stuff, and so we're looking for stuff to do, and we're going to go salmon fishing, but it was like 50 and like five foot seas on Lake Michigan, and my dad expressed um, a desire to not go salmon fishing in those conditions. And and so it, on some of the websites, they were talking about hybrid bass anywhere. They call them wipers here, um, which I assume is a striped bass, white bass, I don't know what it is. Uh, but are there, is there a striped bass fishery at this point, or is it, it not much?
1: Not much. I mean, some of the wipers, which are, you're correct, white and, and striped bass, Um are stocked in like reservoirs um, around kind of the Great Lakes region, but it's not re- a major fishery, at least in the grand scheme of the Great Lakes basin. In other places across like the US and more like Kansas, Midwest, Plains area, you're going to see, but not so much right now in the Great Lakes. But as Titus said, that there's always the possibility that that could change with a in climate, changing interests of, of
2: angling populations. Yeah, I mean, like, and the the idea that stocking new species to the region, I think, you know, the discussions they had in the 60s, it would be a very different discussion today if we were, you know, widespread non-native
0: fish stocking it would be an interesting discussion, to say the least. And it wouldn't just be one guy deciding to do it. <laughs>
3: okay, we danced around this topic in the previous discussion, um, but let's talk about another invasive carp, invasive black
0: Now, carp. hold on. Hold uh, on now. Before we talk about invasive carp in general, we have to show uh, one of the classic invasive carp videos. Tammy, if you could put that up, please. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so for those of you listening, missing the video, we'll link to it in the show notes, but it's uh, some dudes being towed behind a boat with weaponry. <laughs> a lot of homemade weaponry i think that's a sword that's a trident uh and they're trying to uh, uh, attack the jumping carp which we cannot recommend oh we got one uh you I, we cannot recommend you do this but if you were to do it we can recommend you sending us video and we will absolutely play it
2: what uh, what can what can go wrong here Stuart? i don't i don't see any problem with that. oh slow I...
0: motion with the sword he whacked its head off oh my goodness anyway and i also to the viewers too that the two uh the two
1: young men in this video attacking the car are are totally like covered they've got helmets protective gear so if you're going to do this also
0: although not that protective because one of them just did the um just did the uh the groin uh, uh situation yeah and uh you know this is fun to show people do it however we really you really shouldn't do this for safety reasons, for animal cruelty reasons, um, and for many other reasons. So, of course, don't send us your video.
2: Sure. it's 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 called it's called a cod piece for a reason, <laughs> and they should be wearing uh, carp carp pieces for protection. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So,
3: um, so let's talk. Okay, so. That is a crazy video and um, I have not seen that in a long time. Um, so those are silver carp in that video, correct? correct? Um That they are the ones who do the jumping. But, and we've heard about silver carp, we've heard about big-headed carp, we've heard about grass
1: carp. What about black carp? Black carp, they're kind of the black sheep of the, when we talk about invasive carps. So Black carps, first off, are not those jumpers. Uh, They're not going to be the ones you see jumping en masse out of the rivers. Um, But they're part of this group that we refer to, you know, as invasive carps. Uh, You may have heard of them referred to in the past as Asian carps, um, but it's really these four species, as you said, the grass, big head, silver, and black. And the black, you know, despite... Being kind of the black sheep, like i said they're they were introduced around the same time as these other species, uh mostly in like the nineteen sixties nineteen seventies uh they're really really good at uh eating mussels and snails, and they were brought over uh from East Asia where they're native to some of the aquaculture ponds in the southeast u s to help control nuisance snail populations in like these uh basically fish ponds. But, you know, there's always always the butt with invasive species. Uh, when the Mississippi River floods, as it tends to do, some of the black carp from these ponds escaped, got into the Mississippi River, and now they are established and uh, kind of making their way up the Mississippi River.
0: First of all, now they're showing more video of the carp jumping. I know, now it's, we're it's watching le- more jumping So these carp, aren't the black yeah. carp, but it's actually legitimately terrifying. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be in a boat and, and all of that starts happening around it. So I have a question. Thinking about this and thinking about how we have a constructed ecosystem, essentially, in the Great Lakes, right, at this point, when um, we stock non-native species and whatever. But one of the big problems is invasive mussels. So if these eat snails, which grow, you know, which grow their own shells rather than trading them out, as we all know, but, and they eat mussels and things like that, why, why don't we just let them into the lake so they can eat the invasive mussels? Kind of an old lady who swallowed a fly situation.
2: Uh, on the surface, you know, that is kind of your initial thought. I think that, you know, it could be interesting and, and maybe it wouldn't be bad. But I think, you know, from a freshwater mussel perspective, uh, freshwater mussels, which are already stressed and, and fairly rare throughout the Great Lakes, a lot of them are threatened and endangered, uh, they would probably end up being the first fish because they're actually bigger bites and, and tastier food. So, um, you know, it, it, maybe they could eat the the invasive quagga mussels, but what if they also eat all the native uh, mussels as well, which would not be good.
1: Yeah. And that's especially not good because a lot of our native mussels in both the Great Lakes and the Mississippi River Basin are really in dire straits already. So like this would just be, you know, another stressor that they don't need right now.
3: So how far up the Mississippi have they been
1: found? So that's actually a really good question. Um, And it's tough because they're they're actually shockingly hard to sample. Um, unlike the silver carp, which are just like obviously you know they're there because so they're jumping out of the water in these mass. The black carp are a little bit more secretive, um, and so they've actually had uh, you know they've had some trouble knowing exactly how far upstream they are. They they've been found in Illinois in the Illinois River, um, but it's almost like you know they've had to a a lot of scientists have relied on commercial fishermen to help us understand like where they're catching them um it's just it's for some reason it's tough to catch these guys
2: yeah and it's also a challenge because although grass carp you know when you see a picture of an ideal black carp and an ideal grass carp they look different they can look very similar in the field um, and be fairly hard to, uh, you know, to tell apart. And you almost need to, you know, do a genetic test to confirm that you're looking at a carp. So, you know, that's an, an additional complication.
0: Are the genetics close enough or far enough apart, I guess, that you could use something like eDNA, environmental DNA? Uh, for those listening, I'm not an environmental DNA expert, but essentially you can look for little bits of DNA in the water if um, the fish or whatever might leave and kind of detect it after the fact and there's questions about how accurate that is um, but do you know if that's something they might be able to use here
1: I think it's a possibility um you know I think there's also they're doing a lot of folks are doing work to try and figure out how edna moves in ecosystems which can be a challenge in some of these bigger flowing river systems because you don't know exactly where upstream necessarily that edna was coming from so it's I think it, it's going to require both, you know, some research into the technology of eDNA coupled with some of this more traditional sampling and, and having eyes on the ground in the, the form of these commercial fishermen.
3: Or put like a bunch of like cameras along the bottom or something like that.
0: <laughs> tons, of, tons of GoPros. That, yeah, we exactly. We need them on the buoys. The <laughs> we need buoys. Buoy
3: cool. Okay, so I have um, one more question because um, we've had some conversations over the past year about names and even Katie earlier you said you know you may have heard these referred to as Asian carps, but they're invasive carps. that's how we refer to them now. If you're in Illinois, there's a whole branding scheme um, called Kopi. Yeah. and so um, can we talk a little bit about um, like why does invasive species terminology matter?
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good question because you know, when we're thinking about how we communicate about invasive species, we want to make sure we're being as accurate as possible. And so the shift from, like I said earlier, Asian carp to invasive carps, and actually a lot of folks now are more just referring to each species individually. It just kind of in the, it's important in the, uh, In the vein of accuracy, because these species all have different life histories. The silver carp and big head carp eat a ton of plankton, so they're gonna have different impacts than, say, like the grass carp, which eats aquatic vegetation, and the black carp, which eats mollusks. So they all have different life histories. And if we wanna be accurate when we're talking about the potential impacts, we wanna make sure that we're not sort of just kind of lumping them all together. Um, But when we think about, you know, in general, how we're referring to invasive species, we really want to make sure that we're using language that is not going to turn people off, Um, whether that's some language around invasive species has historically been xenophobic or used kind of needlessly aggressive metaphors that refer to war. Um, And there's a lot of people, uh, you know, such as L. Lauer with Michigan Sea Grant, Sam Chen with Oregon Sea Grant who are really, you know, doing a lot of really cool work to better understand, like, what are the impacts of the way we talk about invasive species on getting people to understand the, you know, the impacts that these species might have, as well as how we prevent them. So I think there's a lot of work that's being done uh, because we want to make sure that we are including everybody in these conversations because invasive species are such a threat to aquatic ecosystems.
3: Cool. And I've listened to some of the discussions and they were people were also saying that it's it's more helpful to call it by something that helps people identify it. Um, Definitely. So that that's also kind of a cool aspect.
0: Well, especially because they are different, right? Thinking about the black card versus the silver and the the big head or whatever. It's like uh, we can use more precision in our language. And if you can do that without, you know, and and reduce the risk of saying something that is either offensive or challenging to someone seems like pretty good call. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, we really are just trying to make sure that we're clear when we're communicating that we are making like making it accessible to everyone because we need all hands on deck when it comes to preventing and managing invasive species.
2: I mean, and if we throw in, you know, like, uh, I mean, common names are very, you know, they're not that set in stone. I mean, if you look at a, a species like a bowfin, and there's like. 20 different common names, you know, regional names, and, uh, you know, so we have these accepted names, and I think, yeah, being, being precise and, and not labeling species on their, their region of origin, um, you know, and thinking about, you know, kind of indigenous uh, views on invasive species, too, even the term invasive species um, is is fairly negative, and you know, the, the those species are not here on their own, you know, we brought them here, so, you know, maybe we need to uh, kind of Think about them differently, it gives them a little more respect and still help them to not uh, not, not impact our ecosystems too much
0: interesting to compare that thought, which I think is a good one, to uh, us all cracking up two minutes ago at a video of people murdering carp and so <laughs> we 're large we can contain multitudes uh, I think that 's excellent now it is our favorite. A uh, uh, question to ask, this is an evergreen topic, and that is uh, fish spawning. Now, this can happen literally any time you hear. Titus, what is spawning right now, and do you have video of it? Man, I wish I did, but, uh, you know, it is it is early summer. Um,
2: you know, it's going to be, uh, I'm going to say, perch are probably done spawning now, but, but definitely if you're at your lake, you might see uh, those little round circles of rocks and, hey, it is uh, sunfish spawning season. Uh, maybe a little bit on the end of it, but they uh, they nest and the males guard the nests, uh, you know, because uh, that helps uh, their little babies survive. So, um, yeah, it's uh, getting into the, you know, minnows, shiners,
0: uh, uh, lots of little babies swimming around. So um, with that... Uh... <laughs> sorry uh on our internal chat people are worrying that titus is going to drop his phone in the water uh and so we're all very concerned about your phone um titus but uh for those of you listening he's on a boat oh 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 we're getting risky here this is very exciting he's teasing us he's taunting us like a mascot with a t-shirt cannon um (laughs) So thinking about the the bluegill or whatever bedding up there, because this is a good time you can go catch them. Is, is that a problem to catch male bluegill that are guarding their nests? Is that, you know, uh, hashtag problematic or is it is it OK to do? Yeah, it, you know, it can definitely be
2: a, a concern. Um, it's same with like largemouth and smallmouth bass. I mean, it is it's a whole lot easier to catch a fish that's guarding a nest because they're aggressive. Because they are going to bite at or go after things that are in their nests, so um, you know it is it can lead to overfishing, and you know you're also targeting you know male fish or you know a single uh, single type of fish uh, that is currently guarding nests. Uh, and once those fish are pulled away, even if you catch and release them, uh, that opens up those nests to uh, predators coming in. Things like round gobies might just pop right in there for a quick snack. Uh, even if that uh, that fish is released and comes back to its nest, so yeah it it can be um, it can be a problem we as collectively, but Titus in
3: particular talk a lot about eating fish, so there's an initiative in the Great Lakes um, to use white fish, which is a very tasty fish in my personal opinion um, but use the whole fish, 100% whitefish. So what can you all tell
1: us about that initiative? Yeah, so I can kind of lay the, the, the framework for this. So this is called the 100% Whitefish Initiative that was kicked off by the Conference of Great Lakes Governors and Premiers. So it's binational. national um, And the idea kind of spawned from uh, something similar that was done with COD in Iceland which is basically saying, you know, a lot of times when we catch these fish, they are primarily, you like, what we use is the filet, which is what people eat. Um, and then the rest of the fish, every basically everything else that's not that muscle filet becomes pet food, fertilizer, um, or it's just kind of tossed. So it, it's not having a whole lot of value. So the idea behind uh, this original pr- group in Iceland was to take whatever is left of cod after you get the fillets and really figure out uses for these different parts of the fish basically using everything from the head to the tail um, and i was looking at some of the stuff they were coming up with you know it's the usual like oh you know dried fish that can be used later on etc one thing that really got me was using uh, fish collagen which is kind of like you know muscle cartilage you know basically just like protein um that was being used in like a drink um and someone said it was like it tasted like LaCroix and I want to know what kind of LaCroix these people are drinking because I'm not I'm not sure I've seen like hint of hint of cod LaCroix at my my local grocery store but apparently that's a thing in
2: Iceland so I I think that probably tastes better than actual LaCroix but may you know, my my preference of of sparkling waters. Oh,
0: okay. Well, that'll be a different podcast. We'll rank those one time. But uh, so that idea of using the whole thing from like the tongue to the schweiß as it were, is is really uh good. Or it's good in terms of um trying to be more efficient. Is that something that that we could do with like carp here? I don't know. So we've had the carp; they're bony. But you can make a dip out of them, or if you're our director Thomas Hook, you can make you can call it a moose, which just sounds disgusting. Um, and, and, but are there other, and, and they're doing cat food and that sort of stuff. Is, is that a movement you're seeing elsewhere? Is that just something that's kind of uh, unique to that situation?
2: Well, I, I throw in a little bit on the, the Iceland example. I mean, one of the reasons they like, they have a value, like thousands of dollars per fish. And part of that is because they were able to create a whole industry that has these, like using a fish product to make these burn uh, bandages, which are you know very very important for burn victims, but also you know a lot of value to that, and you know so that would be the question um, for us in the Great Lakes. Like they are looking at you know whitefish, 100% whitefish, but also you know what are, what are the other species? And um, I I have you know kind of seen their their pitch, and it was in a room with a bunch of commercial fishermen, and I you know I think the question that came up there was you know. It, you could create this, but, like, who is going to get the value out of this 100% thing? And, you know, it, it doesn't seem like the fisherman is going to make a lot of extra money on it. So, uh, you know, that is a concern. Uh, but, you know, I think using all pieces of fish and getting more value is, is a great thing. So let's let's get creative and, and use more uh, whitefish leather uh, for our, I don't know, shoes. Is that something we can do? And so are they focused on
3: whitefish to start because it's a relatively big fish and is also pretty prevalent or um, and it's just one that people care about already? Are there other species that they're considering, I guess, is where I'm going with that.
2: Yeah, I mean, so they started as 100 percent whitefish because that is the Great Lakes number one kind of total, uh, you know, poundage and it's the top fish. So there's a lot of it out there. Uh, but they've kind of shifted to 100% Great Lakes fish uh, just to expand more to other species. So, you know, I think there's interest in looking at other species, too.
3: That is super cool. And I definitely, I kind of want to try that drink. You mentioned. I know. I do, <laughs> I do too now at this point. Just
0: like, just to say you've had it. I mean, we we had poutine and ketchup chips. Uh, so we could probably have, you know, whitefish, fizzy. Fish
1: coffee. collagen. Yeah.
0: LaCroix. I mean, we could. There's a, a counter offer, <laughs> which is we could not.
3: This is Ask Dr. Fish, a show where our two Dr. Fishes answer your fish questions, science questions, and life questions. If you're watching live, please feel free to ask a question uh, that is related to what we've been talking about or not related at all because we are comfortable. We have super professional Dr. Fishes, Dr. Fish who are really comfortable pivoting. So you can put their questions into the chat right now and we will see them. You can use the Twitter hashtag AskDrFish or you can email us at AskDrFish at gmail.com. And I believe our next question actually came from the hashtag AskDrFish.
0: Stuart, do you want to introduce it? It did. It came from on Twitter, Shad from DC. And this was actually a question in haiku form. So bonus points for Shad. Uh, You can follow uh, them at uh, Shad from DC on Twitter. And so I will read the haiku and then there'll be an embedded question. Although I would point out, Shad, you ended it with an exclamation point, not a question mark, but it's a question anyway. This is it. Parents named me Shad. If you were named after a fish, which would you choose? Exclamation point which would you choose? So if you could choose to be named after a fish, which fish would you choose? Or alternately, are there any cool things named after fish that you know of?
1: Well, I'll go right ahead. Cause I have an easy one. Cause you know, I named myself catfish at this point. So uh, just with like, a, you know, K instead of a C. Yeah. So that one's pretty obvious, but catfish. I mean, there's, yeah. So I'm going catfish. Um, but I mean, there's so many, I was, like thinking about all the things that I know named after fish you have things like places you know Cape Cod Cape Cod. Uh, you have a bunch of I never thought about yeah. that
0: huh.
1: yeah Cape Cod named yeah. after named after yeah. Atlantic Cod. Lake Fish again Lake Fish in Whitefish Bay and here in the Great Lakes uh so lots of places uh lots of cars actually named after fish you've got things like Stingray Barracuda um and you even got things like plants. There's a, a wildflower called the trout lily. Trout lily. So, I mean, we, we could go on and on about things named after fish. Right. But
0: Well, if I were going to be named after a fish while Titus adjusts his ear, um, this is actually easy because my parents were going back and forth between Stuart and uh, apuaa which is the state fish of Hawaii, the reef trigger fish. So uh, they chose Stuart in the it end. It was a toss-up. It was.
3: Yeah, it was a, it toss-up. Was a toss-up. Yeah. I, I can say I would not be named after a fish. I'll just be boring. Nope. <laughs> I'd be named.
0: Is, is
2: my sound okay? Can you're I great, talk? man. It That's actually what? is amazing yeah, what technology yeah. can yeah. do.
0: You're on a boat, Titus. We should reiterate that you're on a boat in the middle of the Fox River, um, not named after a fish, named after a mammal. And uh, uh, yeah, you're you're gonna tell us if you could be named after a fish. Yeah. So my answer: what would I think?
2: Esox would be a good uh, a good name. That's the genus for uh, you know pike and, and muscalunge. But I have always advocated you know people having daughters. I think Persina, which is the genus of the log perch, uh, is is a great name. And hey, name someone after it. It's a great name.
1: It's it's a very pretty
3: name. Yeah. Okay. So since we do not have any questions from the audience and thank you Shad for <laughs> thank you Shad for sharing that um question and uh subsequent discussion um so since we don't have any questions I'm going to bring up PFAS and PFOAS and all of that. So these are in the news all the time um this is a contaminant of emerging concern which means it's been around for a long time, but people are starting to be worried about the potential health effects. There's a lot in the news about PFAS and PFOAS in fish. And I have um, published on June 15, 2023, a story from Connecticut, um, where they have put up some warnings about um, eating fish in particular locations. And my understanding is that with PFAS and PFOAS, it's really like their contaminant load is really location based more than like a particular species or things like that. Um, So this is the story that we have up right now from Connecticut um, where they're talking about warnings from eating fish from 11 bodies of water. I'm wondering um, what you all know about eating eating fish from other locations that may or may not be contaminated with PFOS or PFOS. Yeah. So I'll,
1: I'll kind of jump in here. You know, there's still a lot we really don't know about. One, the impact of uh, PFOAs on kind of human health or PFAS, um, but also just like how PFAS move in the environment, how they get taken up by organisms such as fish and incorporated into different tissues. Um, But we do know, like you said, Carolyn, that a lot of it can be very specific location based. Um, for instance, there's often uh, kind of PFAS hotspots around places like airports or military training centers where they use these firefighting foams um, to because the the firefighting foams contain PFAS. It's a way of sort of uh, extinguishing. Uh, so there's very much uh, and they're very much. Very local hotspots, or where there's factories that have created things, Um, PFAS are also kind of common in anything that's sort of um, nonstick or kind of what we call hydrophobic. So things like Teflon, stuff like that. Um, And when that gets into the water, then it you know kind of acts as one of your normal contaminants. That's like okay, where does it get stored in the sediment? Does it get stored in uh, organisms, etc. So all that to say there's a lot of unknowns. Um, I think we're just starting to get a sense of the scale that, and prevalence of PFAS in the environment, in organisms. Um, and, you know, even in places that are remote, we're finding fish that have PFAS. So it's really kind of like, you know, um, and I think we we may have talked about this on a past episode, but when we're thinking about, you know, eating fish with contamination advisories, there's a lot of um, balancing risk between, you know, knowing like where your fish are coming from. Is this a place near a hot spot? What kind of, you know, potential life history might influence its contaminant uptake? Um all that to say it 's one of those yeah very complicated factors,
0: yeah, so every time we talk about eating fish there 'll be a comment or two on the Facebook thing about how you right. know, you know and, and that 's well taken right that, that, uh, oh, but, but for one sure. thing that 's really challenging, especially with this P- the, these emerging um, forever chemicals, as they like to call them, uh, which seems so long, but um, one of the one of the challenges with them is is we 're learning kind of one at a time like one species or one type of animal at a time. And, and so there's that paper that came out talking about how bad it is um, uh, in fish, but we don't know what about other sources of protein, right? Ranging from things like beef or, or, or chicken or whatever to even, I mean, heck if I know, uh, maybe maybe uh, all the soy that we love to eat, uh, you know, I, I, we just don't know. And so it's really hard to contextualize. And I'm told we have a question. Uh, let's see, there we go. This is from Keith a uh, wonderful name keith den i i believe how many species oh this is going back to whitefish all right um so let's uh put a button on pfas and then we can go back to uh then we can go to uh whitefish i think um so titus did you have something on pfas and then we'll we'll go back
2: oh yeah pfas um yeah i was going to just say you know here i am in green bay we've got a, a there's a rock bass consumption advisory on pfas cuz uh, wisconsin does uh, has been monitoring it. And we, you know, there are specific PFAS uh, for uh, advisories for, you know, some of our Great Lakes waters, but also inland waters as well. And it, it is a, an emerging topic that, you know, the, the science isn't there yet, I don't think on what are the impacts or we just don't know what they are. But yeah, it, it sounded like, you know, being cautious, making good decisions, eating healthy. Um, I think fish can have a place for that. And um, yeah.
0: Well, it's got to be healthier than what I ate yesterday for Father's Day. That's for sure. So, um, Excellent. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, Keith uh, Dengenis wants to know, how many species of whitefish are indigenous to Lake Ontario? That is a good question that I do not know. Titus is going to take that one because I do not want to get into systematics of whitefish and
2: ciscoes. Yeah, I mean, you know, we could definitely say they're cisco and whitefish and they're both corrigonids. Um Loater, uh was another Corrigonid that is, you know, historically was there. It's not anymore. Um, so definitely those three. Um, and from the the uh, last Diagler meeting, there are at least we haven't lost any of those deepwater ciscos. Uh, they have confirmed they all exist, and they might actually be two more that they're going to add. So take that. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, there's at least those three in Lake Ontario. Um, I don't, you know, historically, if some of the other ones had been there, I I don't know that off the top of my head. So are they all,
3: um, are they all interbreeding or are there distinct populations?
2: Yeah. So they're, you know, it, it's more of an issue, like historical population decline for a lot of these. Um, some of them will or can hybrid, hybridize potentially. Um, but. Yeah, it, they they usually stay pretty distinct, um, species-wise, and you know our kind of interesting Cisco whitefish situation in the Great Lakes is really uh, because of the you know the, the historical declines. There's been you know loss of some species in some of the lakes uh, because of you know pollution and overfishing and, and all these changes that happened in the, the 20th century, um, and and now you know we're more of a a, a restoration. Uh, mindset for a lot of the lakes, like Lake Michigan and Lake Huron, Lake Ontario as well. Uh, I mean, talking about cisco, uh, there's that, that classic Lake Erie cisco picture of, you know, there used to be the biggest fishery for cisco in the world in Lake Erie, and now they basically don't have any. So, uh, you know, it, it takes a long time for these things to recover and, and get back to where they're at.
1: Cool. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Katie? No, I just, I my joke about not wanting to talk about uh, whitefish is because there are, it's almost, uh, I've heard them called kind of Darwin's finches of the Great Lakes. There was a lot of speciation um, and a lot of debate about what particularly makes a distinct species of coragonids, which is kind of, you know, our, this group of whitefish uh, found in the Great Lakes. And so... It's one of those subjects where scientists get very, uh, very animated about what makes a species a species. So I'm glad Titus took that one.
3: So at some point we're going to have to get on a um, like somebody who does morphology and someone who does genetics and just, just let them go at it, him. right?
0: <laughs> I came from that world. I came from that. My master's degree, I, I, I worked on fish phylogenetics, and uh, I'm reminded of Sayers' law. Uh, In any dispute, the intensity of feeling is inversely proportional to the value of the issues at stake. That's all I have to say about that. Keith uh, DeGenis also asked about blue pike. Is it officially, first of all, what is it? That's my question. Second of all, is it officially extinct in uh, Lake Ontario? So speaking of what is a species and what's
1: not, uh, blue pike is actually now considered to be a subspecies or a color morph of walleye. So this is where we get into common names being a little bit confusing. Um, and so there's this idea that blue pike, which were just essentially look like walleye, but with a bluish, silverish color, um, used to be pretty common in Lake Erie, uh, Lake Ontario. To my knowledge, I I don't know if they're, well, they're not really considered extinct because it's a color morph of walleye um not like a an entire species So, like extinction would
0: be the wrong term even if they were gone is that kind of what you mean
1: yeah i mean if we're getting into kind of the the technical you know terminology of it all
0: interesting so officially extinct would require them to officially exist as a species i suppose okay (laughs) haha that's one way to solve the extinction problem right is just to find everything (laughs) as one one species fantastic everything's one species one love carolyn do you want to uh transition us into the next uh phase of our yeah
3: i was trying to find a cool picture of blue because i mean walleye are so cool themselves and yeah so all right so the first thing i want to say is that we did have a comment come in during the naming um that (laughs) uh my name is Amon Preet, but I changed it to Amon preel. That's lovely.
1: That's wonderful. <laughs>
3: That's fantastic. Thank you, Amon. Um, okay. So now, um, if you've not joined us before, so um, we do do these every other month. Um, and toward the end, we have our doctors' Fish play a game. And then um, the winner gets to have a soapbox for, I forget how long, 60 seconds, 30 seconds. I can't remember. Um, But um, yeah. And so um, we're doing a slightly different game today. Um, And so, but I have to share my screen in order to do it.
0: So tell us the game. What's
3: going to happen. Yeah. I'm good. I gotcha. I gotcha. So (laughs) you're going to see an image. It's pixelated. It's going to turn into, it's going to become de-pixelated or more, um, more refined. Anyway, I'm going to get go down rasterizing and stuff like that. We don't need to talk about that right now. But the question is, like, basically, you're racing. So um, there are three different GIFs that you're going to watch. Um, and whoever guesses first, two out of three wins. All right. So and if you have comments on Carolyn's first...
0: pronunciation of GIF, please put those in the chat as well.
3: Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Oh, Titus, Um, he's getting serious.
0: Sunglasses are off. He's squinting in on the phone. Oh, this is exciting.
2: I I don't need my polarized sunglasses for this. I'm I'm ready. All right. So one sec,
3: let me just get it so that it is starting up again. And all right. So this is what you're seeing.
0: Tell me what it is. It's a fish. It's a fish. Done. Here's my soapbox. I know what it is. I know what I'm it I'm gonna is. say, Johnny Darter. Katie wins. Whoa.
1: That one was a Johnny Darter. Yes. You know what was awesome
2: there? I just all I saw was the. I, I just saw the full picture.
0: And then, Sorry, no Titus. On so
2: <laughs>
0: Katie's gonna
1: win this, no problem. Exactly. This is this is biased in in my favor, so I am all, all for right.
3: it. So here, one second. <laughs> northern pike johnny darter you are killing me smalls johnny darter lovely all right okay everybody ready for number
0: two yeah we already have a guess of northern pike so is that right
3: <laughs> no it was johnny darter no it's- the next one he's already
0: <laughs> guessed for the next one carolyn titus is tra- using strategic trying to get a yeah because he can't oh, so. actually all right Cute. that's all right. roll it roll it we're all professionals sorry
3: here. no sorry i accidentally closed the thing <laughs> see this is what happens when I try to do something new, but y'all are gonna love this one. All right. Okay. Tammy's like, man, this is good. I wish that this I is could've...
0: good radio right here.
1: All right, here we go. Oh, it's Newton. Newton. It's Newton. Whoa, it's Newton. Yay! <laughs> All
0: right. What is Newton? What is that?
1: Newton is uh. Ohio Sea Grants, they have a, a stone lab facility in Lake Erie, and Newton is the island dog. They have a dog? And he's the best. Why don't yeah, we have a dog? He's the best. Why don't we have a Sea Grant dog?
3: Uh,
0: all right. Writing this down. We need you need a dog first, you can get a dog. That's true. First, first island, then dog. Right.
3: Katie already won, but we're doing this because we're doing, doing it. it. So, okay.
0: The third gist Number. We'll be up in a giffy. It is. <laughs>
3: All right, number three.
2: Sturgeon. What now?
0: <laughs> you guessed sturgeon.
2: I said sturgeon. I can't really sturgeon. see it.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not some kind of a salmonid. Okay, a trout. I was gonna say, really?
1: is it a bro- brook trout? Nope. Nope.
0: Green brown trout. Brown trout.
3: Nope.
0: Purple trout.
3: Nope. Well, to be fair, oh, I like, only know the common name. Go ahead. Is it lake trout? Nope.
2: No Atlantic salmon. There still you hit. go. Yay! Yay!
1: We're just going down the
2: list. <laughs> <laughs> like, which salmon so is it, imagine it on my phone? It is smaller than a postage stamp. So.
0: <laughs> oh. Well, you still got it. Only 17 guesses in, Titus. So, so well done. Nicely done.
3: Nicely so Edit
0: oh. it, it to sound like I was right the first time. Right, <laughs> then. <and laughs> Yeah, we Quinn. See. If you could do that,
2: and there's
3: two percent. Right, three.
0: Quinn. Actually, what you two should do is leave one. this whole little spiel in, and then uh, we will all hear how corrupt Titus is. He's always winning.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there we go. So we had Johnny Darter, Newton, the best boy on uh, Stone Lab, and a, an Atlantic salmon were the three. GIF gifs, whatever you want to call them. So, Katie, you are the official winner, and you get your soapbox. And Stuart can do the timing for however long it is.
0: All right, thirty seconds. We should we should have like a Jeopardy esque theme song, but we don't. So, thirty seconds beginning now.
1: So it is summer in the Great Lakes, and I hope you are getting a chance to go out and enjoy everything the region has to offer. Uh, you know, while you're out there on your boat, paddleboard, canoe, kayak, you're fishing. Uh, just make sure that, you know, if you're taking your your stuff between different bodies of water that you clean, drain and dry. Um, we don't want to potentially move any invasive species between between water bodies. And, you know, those guys can be little hitch- hitchhikers. So it's just really important that as you're having fun, as you're enjoying this beautiful summer we've been having, uh, that we we keep our streams, rivers, lakes, ponds, everything, uh, yeah, you know, free from any future
0: invasive species uh, movement, so. Fantastic. Katie O'Reilly, Aquatic Invasive Species Specialist, Illinois, Indiana Sea Grant. Twitter, follow her on Twitter, at ask, nope, not at ask anything, at Dr. Cat. <laughs> Don't ask me anything, That's okay. Catfish <laughs> with a K. Thanks for coming on, Katie. Joining us from a boat, Titus Seilheimer, Dr. Titus, Dr. Katie O'Reilly, too, from a boat. He's in the Fox River. Uh, Titus, anything fun coming up this month?
2: um hey i'm i'm out here on green bay all week
0: isn't that great that is great uh, yes what, what are you actually doing on green bay
2: uh surveying fish and uh looking at wild rice and association
0: nice. with coastal wetlands well thank you so much titus
3: and let's acknowledge that we are recording this on juneteenth so happy juneteenth everybody happy juneteenth
0: happy juneteenth everybody thank you for that Ask Dr. Fish is brought to you by the fine people at Illinois, Indiana Sea Grant, Wisconsin Sea Grant, and Goby Dog Media. The show is produced and hosted by Stuart Carlton, Carolyn Foley, Dr. Fish, Katie O'Reilly, Dr. Fish, Titus Seilheimer. The live broadcast guru is Tammy Winsle, eh? And produced by our great pals at Great Lakes Now. Sorry, sorry. The podcast version of the show is edited by the awesome Quinn Rose. And we thank Quinn for everything. Thank you, Quinn. Drop out of graduate school. Uh, the podcast artwork is by Ethan Kosak. Go check out his portfolio, EthanKosak.com. That's K-O-C-A-K. Uh, we should ask him his fish name. Probably be one of farts. If you have questions for Dr. Fish, send an email to AskDrFish at gmail.com. Use the Twitter hashtag AskDrFish or call our hotline, our fish hotline. Nobody else has one of these. 765-496-4474, or if you care, IISG. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll see you live on YouTube, Facebook at 11 o'clock Eastern on the second Monday of every month. Every now and again, we'll be randomly live from some other place or at some other time. But that's the plan anyway. In between now and then, though, if you have fish questions, science questions, or life questions, just ask Dr. Fish.